quick prayer. May the words coming from my heart and out of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. The winds of change. Many of you have probably been in churches of all shapes and sizes and styles of ministry in all kinds of places throughout this great country and maybe even a couple of countries, other countries. The best of these churches, the great ones, have what I would call an indefinable something that made them different. These were churches that were experiencing growth, numerical and spiritual, churches that are reaching people, changing lives, and are affecting and are effective in mission to their community and to the world around them. When you visit these churches, you can sense that indefinable something even before the service begins. In a sense of anticipation, they're glad to be, be there because they're about to worship God together and it's going to be good. When you visit these churches, you can sense an attitude of purpose. We know why we're here. You can sense an attitude of reverence. We take this seriously. Pastor Carl has told me numerous times, and I'm sure he's told y'all too, that one time he was a guest speaker at a small country church in Illinois. He arrived that morning. There was a group of men standing out front taking a smoke between Sunday school and worship. He introduced himself, and they made conversation for a few minutes. Finally, one of them looked at his watch. Well, 10 o'clock. Let's go in and get this over with. Have you ever been in a church with an attitude like that? I've been in a few. Let's get this over services in my life. You can sense it in the people and among the leaders. Oh, no, it's Sunday. Let's go through the motions one more time as if this matters. Pressing to be in that kind of worship. Our aim is to be opposite, to be a mission possible church, a church that is characterized by, that isn't characterized by let's get this over, but is characterized by an attitude of, hey, it's Sunday, let's go, let's go see what the Lord is going to tell us today. I love being in churches with that attitude. I call it the indefinable something. But guess what? It's not indefinable at all. We can define it. We can prepare for it, and we can be a part of it right here every week. Today we're concluding our series called Mission Possible. For the past eight weeks, we've been looking at scenes and stories from the books of Acts that offer guidelines on how the New Testament church approaches the task of ministry. This series has challenged us to stretch beyond our comfort level, moving beyond the boundaries of, of our four walls, into this community, and into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we'll look at the story of Pentecost. It's found in Acts chapter 2. This was opening day for a New Testament church, the last phase of human history. So far this phase has lasted 2,000 years. How much longer will it last? Who knows? Maybe 2,000 more. But it's not for us to say or speculate. The day of Pentecost represents God's mission on earth, that he will use his people to be a witness to the world of Jesus. These followers of Christ, his church, are to go into the world preaching the gospel, making disciples, and changing lives. Acts 2 is the microcosm of the church's mission. In this chapter, we will see three objectives of the mission possible church. That's what we will look at today. First, I don't know. Man, 
I've never had this before, so this is different. We need to be a church that demonstrates God's power to make a difference in people's lives. Pentecost was a big feast that was held in Jerusalem every year. Thousands and thousands of Jews and Gentile converts to the Judaism from all over the world would come to participate. There in the upper room, a remnant of his followers waited in prayer. They were waiting there because Jesus told them to after his resurrection, shortly before he ascended into heaven. He said in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He then said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples waited. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together, about 120 of them, and suddenly the sound of a rushing, mighty wind filled the room where they were. Small, tongue-shaped flames of fire rested on each, each one of them, and they began to speak in other languages. As they spilled out of the room into the public square, people could hear them speaking. They were declaring the wonders of God, the Bible says. A crowd gathered around them and said, This is amazing. We are hearing these presumably uneducated Galileans speak in our languages. And they ask a question that we can only hope that the people will ask about us. How is it possible that each of us hears them in his own native language? There was one explanation. It was the miraculous power of God. Because, he, because it was speaking in tongues, sometimes people get sidetracked. That's not what, what this sermon is about. It's about the power of God moving in people's lives in such a way that others can't help but notice, and they can't help but ask, how can it be? How is this possible? Think of some of the how is it possible questions I've heard over the years. How is it possible, and this is Pastor Cope, not me, how is it possible you have such joy in your life? How is it possible that you are able to survive such tragedy? How is it possible that you have been, so, have been blessed financially? How is it possible that your marriage is so strong? How is it possible that you're able to face cancer with such courage? How is it possible that you were able to turn your life around? How is it possible that you have so much love for others, even those who should be your enemies? The answer to these questions is the same as the day of Pentecost. This is the wonder-working power of God. I want us to be the kind of church where people can see the difference that God can make in a human life. There's only one way that happens. It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. That means that we individually, you specifically, me too, need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. God wants to do something in your life that causes the world around the round to sit up and take notice. How can this be? How is it possible that your life? How is it possible that your life is like it is? One key objective is to be open to the power of God among us so that we can let our light shine to the world around us and they can see the difference 
God can make in a person's life. Second one. We need to be a church that helps people make the connection between the meaning of life's events and the meaning of Scripture. While the disciples were speaking in other languages and praising God, some scoffed and said, these men are just drunk. But others asked a question that so many people in the world today are asking. What does this mean? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who have lived in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter began to quote from the Old Testament about how in the last days God would pour out his soul on all people, men and women, young and old. He reminded them that Joel had promised that everyone who called upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And then he told them about Jesus, about his life and his death, and how he works and how the words of King David testified to his lordship. Then he told them about his resurrection and how his Jewish rabbi now sits at the right hand of God and he has poured out his spirit on his people. And it is this miracle you are witnessing today because God made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. His Jewish listeners understood exactly what he was saying. He connected the truth of Scripture to the truth about Jesus and he explained what it means for them today. The Word of God has the power to, keep pe- to help people make sense out of what's going on. The more you understand the Word, the more you understand life. That's why we need to help people make a daily connection to Scripture. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible can give you direction in the choices you make, the decisions you make. It can help you deal with mistakes you make. It can help you it can help you define the goals you set and the priorities you live by. And it works. I know it works for me. I I didn't used to, to believe in the Bible. And uh, just had a really hard time getting things done. Now that I've let God into my life, my life is easier. Things go and flow and just... few months, they're gone. I've also seen a lot of people come into the church in a flash of emotion, determined to make their life better, and years later, they're still plugging away. What's the difference? The one who stayed got rooted in the Word. From the very first day that church was in existence, its message was, this is how Scripture relates to what is happening around you. Today, we need to be the kind of teaching church that makes the, that same connection. 
If Pastor Cobb were here today, he would tell you, the goal of my preaching is the practical application of biblical truth. That's not only my goal, but the goal of every Bible class or devotional or private study. We need to be a church that helps people connect their daily lives to the life-changing principles of Scripture. The third thing today, we need to be a church that is ready to help people take the journey of faith. As Peter preached, the crowd asked yet another significant question. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You can tell by their response that it must have been a good sermon. Usually when I finish preaching, people don't ask, what shall we do? They just look at their watch and, where are we going to eat? What shall we do? They wanted to know. Even today, people are asking that question. What shall I do? They know that there is something missing in, in their lives. They're not connected to God like they want to be. They've seen how he can make a difference in the lives of some people. They've heard the promises of Scripture about a life of joy and victory. And now they want to know, what must I do to be right in a relationship with God? Peter was ready with an answer in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn from your old life, he says. Give your heart fully to Jesus. Make a public declaration of your faith in him through baptism. And your sins will be washed and you will experience the same power of God you've seen at work here today. Our mission is to bring people to Jesus. To tell them how to be saved and how their lives can be made brand new. Our mission is to provide them a home. The Bible says that 3,000 people were saved that day. Some of them left Jerusalem when the festival was over and went back to their home country. But many of them already lived in Jerusalem. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In other words, they got on the path to discipleship. They began to be rooted in the fundamental principles of the Christian faith. The last few verses of Acts talks about how the believers shared everything with one another. They continued to meet together in the temple courts and in private homes, eating together, fellowshipping, and praising God together. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this picture of the New Testament church. A community of people discovering the reality of life in God altogether. That's what the church was intended to be. This is why we need to be committed to helping people discover new life in Jesus and helping them to become fully devoted followers. This should be the kind of church that causes people to be utterly amazed, asking, How can it be that your life is so different? It should be the kind of church who answers the question, what does this mean with the powerful, life-changing truth of God's Word? And it should be the kind of church that when people ask, what shall we do, we are ready to respond. Come into Jesus, 
Give him your life today and join with us in the journey of faith. For the last two months, we've talked about being a mission possible church. If we were to grade ourselves so far, we would score high in some areas, and we would see the need for improvement in other areas. What we need most of all, however, is what the followers of Jesus experienced on that first day in the history of the church. We need the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to move in our midst. Without the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission is mission impossible. But when he is empowering us to be his witness, like Jesus promised he would, we are able to do great things. The great chapter of the Bible is microcosm of the mission of the church, begins with the words, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We're in this together, too. Let's put our trust only in God, relying completely on Him to do things greater than we could ever hope to ask or imagine. Let us be faithful to prayer, faithful to give, faithful to follow, faithful to obey, faithful to go where He leads us. Let's welcome His presence so that we can all experience the winds of change. Here ends the sermon.